You're listening to the Slice of MIT podcast, a production of the MIT Alumni Association. We started looking at the canon as not just a canon that was sitting as a piece of furniture, but uh, something to do something with. So there, there were a whole bunch of logistics involved there. And, and in general, when you tell someone your idea, yeah. if it's good enough, they will throw up their arms and go, are you insane? <laughs> then you know you have a good idea. Got it. So it, it passed the crazy test. Yeah. In the early morning hours of March 28, 2006, a small group of young men, disguised as movers, arrived on Caltech's Pasadena campus, armed with phony work orders in a moving van with a custom logo of the non-existent Howe & Sir Moving Company. Within a few hours, the crew departed with the college's two-ton Fleming Cannon in tow. Eight days later, the 130-year-old cannon, a remnant of the Franco-Prussian War, reappeared 3,000 miles away on MIT campus with a massive 24-karat gold-plated brass rat on its barrel. How and Sir, it turns out, were MIT students who had just carried out perhaps the longest distance MIT hack of all time. The prank, which was retribution for a series of hacks Caltech had carried out at MIT a year before, received national attention and was featured in the Boston Globe, the LA Times, and the Washington Post. And in 2014, the MIT community voted it their second favorite hack in MIT history. So, how does one borrow a cannon, drive it cross-country, and place it in the middle of a crowded campus completely undetected? In this episode of the Slice of MIT podcast, we'll hear from the MIT hackers involved in the infamous Caltech cannon heist as we celebrate the prank's 10-year anniversary. This conversation is hosted by Jim Bales, the Associate Director of MIT's Edgerton Center, where that giant brass rat was constructed. We'll hear from two of the hackers who helped plan the hack and travel to Caltech. The interview also features Dave Barber from MIT's Security and Emergency Management Office, who's an expert on MIT's hacking culture and the Institute's unofficial liaison between hacking students and MIT administration. Complying with MIT's hacking ethos, these hackers, of course, will remain anonymous, so let's just call them Mr. Howe and Mr. Sir. So in this interview, we'll hear why they conceived the hack in the first place and how long it took to plan, how they convinced Caltech security that they were legitimate movers, how exactly they got a two-ton cannon across the country, and what happened when Caltech students showed up at MIT to reclaim the cannon. This episode is produced in association with the MIT Edgerton Center a multifaceted resource hub for undergraduate and graduate MIT students. The center honors the learning-by-doing legacy of Professor Harold Doc Edgerton and operates a K-12 science and engineering outreach program for students and teachers. Find out more at edgerton.mit.edu. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jim Bales. I'm the Assistant Director of the Edgerton Center. And uh, back in the beginning of 2006, I had a couple MIT students show up at my office. They had an idea. They were going to do a hack against Caltech, and were in favor of that. They were going to make a 
giant replica of the MIT class ring, and they're going to put it on the barrel of a cannon on the Caltech campus. And, and they asked if it would be appropriate for them to use the Edgerton student machine shop for making the class ring. Since the shop exists to help, in part, to help students do personal projects, I said, well, this is a personal project. Have at it. And I forgot about them. And then, on the morning of April 6th, 2006, the students showed up at my office again. And I said, hey, how'd it go? I is the ring on the cannon? And they went, um, yeah, the ring's on the cannon. So I said, what aren't you guys telling me? And they said, well, the ring's on the cannon, but the cannon is here. They and colleagues had managed to take a cannon from the campus of Caltech and deliver it to the MIT campus with no one being the wiser. They enlisted the expert moving help of the Howe and Sir Moving Company to pull this off. And fortunately with us tonight are two representatives of Howe and Sir. And we're delighted to have you gentlemen with us, as well as David Barber, who is MIT's unofficial and probably non-existent liaison between MIT and the student hacking community. Thank you all for coming. And, um, can you tell us a little bit about the, the story? So when, 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 when I was brought out that April morning, what did I see? You saw the cannon adorned with a 22-pound gold-plated brass rat replica that we had machined ourselves um, completely in all the MIT student shops and over only a span of 10 days. So, and, and where, where, where did you put it on campus? Right in front of the big green dot in front of the green building. Which is a crossing point where lots of people will get to see it. Yep, and pretty bright and sunny on an April day. And we also aligned it so it was pointed more or less right at Caltech. Very good. I, I think that's a, an appropriate aiming. So I got to ask, um, this is a hack that's going to go down in the books. I mean, you know, decades from now, MIT people are still going to be talking about this hack. Uh, in part because it's just such an outrageous thing to do. So where did the idea come from? It actually came from a, a reason that you probably wouldn't guess. Um, one day, years beforehand, mm -hmm. a bunch of us were wandering through the Esplanade, which is you know on the other side of the Charles River, mm -hmm. and we stumbled across um, a howitzer. Mm -hmm. It's in front of the hatch shell, okay. and I guess it's been there for decades. Mm -hmm. But we saw that, and we thought, man, it'd be great if we did something with this. <laughs> but you know, after further thinking. It may not have been the most wise idea, and you know it was kind yeah. of locked down. But we still like the idea of mm -hmm. taking a cannon, and you know we knew that Caltech also had a cannon, uh -huh. so that was in our minds uh -huh. as well. Okay. But you know there was never enough momentum to really yeah. go ahead and do it. And then, sure. as you, you may be aware, Caltech came to our campus mm -hmm. in 2005 and pulled a series of hacks. Uh -huh. um, and they were kind of looking for us to retaliate even. <laughs> and so at that point, we realized we had the perfect thing up our sleeve. That's quite the sleeve if it holds the cannon. OK, so fine. You got a group of people, and you think, let's go steal a cannon. Sure. So how do you get your arms around the logistics and the planning of something like that? That's, uh, that's one of those things that as you slowly you know, get to MIT and you start looking at things and seeing them as not just you know, immovable objects, but things that you can do something mm -hmm. with, and yeah. you know, buildings you can adorn, things like that. Uh, you start thinking about things in terms of, hmm, that thing over there, I wonder what it would take to, to do that. Okay. So 
we started looking at the Canon as not just a Canon that was sitting as a piece of furniture, but mm -hmm. uh, something to do something with. So there, there were a whole bunch of logistics involved there. I mean, and in general, when you tell someone your idea, yeah. if it's good enough, they will throw up their arms and go, are you insane? <laughs> <laughs> then you know you have a good idea. Got it. So it, it passed the crazy test. Yeah. Got it. So how many, I mean, how many people do you end up getting involved in, in something like this? Uh, there were a couple dozen involved overall. Okay. There were a much smaller number who actually made it all the way out to the West Coast to sure. pull the heist off on premise there. Mm -hmm. uh, but between the machining and all of the other preparations, a couple dozen people. Got it. So how, how big was the travel crew going over there? Just so, five of us, right? Yeah, we did right. five of us. We, we rented a car mm -hmm. and drove nonstop. Uh, you know, five people, lots of Red Bull, Mountain Dew. You can, you can keep going for a long time. And rotating the drivers through. Yep, I definitely did some 3 a.m. Hey, is anybody else awake back there? Uh, shifts. Loud music helps. Yeah. Loud music loud would music, help for that. Loud singing as you drive. Okay, so, okay, so I, I get the idea that you know the cannons are not immovable. I mean, armies, in fact, are, think, think it's rather important that their cannons be movable as a general rule. So how does one go about moving? Cannon. Oh, so it, it takes a bit of uh, work to get the cannon to a place where you can move it. Okay. But it turns out there are some problems which can be solved with large quantities of cash. Um, okay. we, we focused a lot more on the problem of how do we get a cannon that is currently sitting on their campus to not be sitting on their campus where okay. we can ostensibly do whatever we'd like with it. Got it. Uh, a, a bit more than we focused on actually like how many hours does it take to drive for the cross country portion. Okay. So, so you, you find like a truck or a truck with a crane on it to pick up the cannon, something like that? Just a winch. Just a winch. So then, um, presumably, you thought about the possibility that there might be somebody on the Caltech campus who might ask, say, why are you taking the cannon? Social engineering. <laughs> all right. I'm Solution not... to all problems. <laughs> okay. So what's social engineering? What do you mean by, by that here? Uh, convincing someone to do something that you want them to do. Okay, okay. It's sort of what, marketing on a retail, one, one, one by one level? Yeah, and it's, we had one of our, uh, I guess, employees of the Highlands Movement Company was a very good social engineer. Mm -hmm. So he was designated as the foreman. Okay. So he would go and talk to whoever we might encounter on the way, and his job was to convince them that we were actual contractors. And to be clear, this happened. Clearly, I mean, it worked. The cannon got here. So, I mean, all right, so part of it is presumably just demeanor and being quick on your feet and a, and a, and a, a silver tongue. Uh, presumably, I mean, I noticed, for example, you have those wonderful shirts. Uh, I assume props help. What kind of props do you need for pulling off this kind of um, social engineering? We definitely went all out with that. We went to, what was it, what the store was? We got Salvation Mexican. Army, that's right. I'm sorry? So we went to Salvation Army oh, beforehand yeah. and got okay. a bunch of raggedy clothing. We didn't shave for at least a week or two. <laughs> <laughs> Some of us pulled that off better than others. Uh, okay. We got uh, magnetic signs printed up for the side of a truck. Mm. Magnetic so that they could easily be applied and removed. When you didn't need them. Yep. Got it. And um, these were the Howitzer Moving Company? Exactly. Very good. Uh, we, we didn't go with an actual Canon logo at the time because that would be just a, a little too much of a tip off. Um, Fair enough. We also got lettering that we ironed onto the back of jackets, mm -hmm. you know, workman jackets, so it looked okay. reasonably like there was an actual company behind it. Very good. 
Uh, clipboards. We had clipboards. Yep. Oh. Had fake moving papers. And fake moving papers. So like faux documents, authorized, you know, contracting. And or... honestly, they never even looked at them. <laughs> that was the best part. But they were in hand, just in case. Yes. And they had papers on a clipboard. Clearly, you must be. Okay. Yep. And uh, a map outlining our supposed route to move the cannon for the work that was supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, should we talk about what our cover story was? Sure. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Okay, so the, the cannon at Caltech, yeah. uh, which we keep calling the Caltech cannon, I think it's actually the Fleming House yeah. cannon, but mm-hmm. this cannon was sitting there uh, for I don't know how many decades, but it was just sitting on some planks on mm-hmm. the ground which were slowly sinking into the lawn. So the reason that we were being contracted to move the cannon was to take it somewhere else while they poured a nice concrete pedestal for the cannon to sit on. And apparently this was convincing enough that the people who stopped us yeah. thought that, oh, of course, we've been waiting for somebody to make that better. Okay, so who stopped you? It was actually the, I guess, equivalent, the equivalent of a fizz plant worker there, okay. janitors. Mm-hmm. He was the one that was kind of wise to what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Now, also, there was a security guard there who confronted us, mm-hmm. but he was the one that we ended up convincing that we were real contractors, and it turns out that he was the only one that mattered because he was mm-hmm. a security guard. And so he sort of overruled the fizz plant guy. The, 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 the best plant I was people just didn't really argue too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they had one choice quote as we drove away, which was, "But their signs are magnetic." <laughs> <laughs> so you flew, you you drove out there, you obtained a truck with metal doors so your magnetic signs would fit would would fit on drove to campus and with winch and a little bit of muscle power presumably and and ingenuity were able to get the cannon onto this truck and then at what point did you guys get stopped well as you were getting it on once it was on the truck just as we started driving away i think we actually got stopped a block away or so yeah so we loaded it up in Mm -hmm. less than 15 minutes wow no one was around to stop us Mm -hmm. but as we pulled out the janitor yeah. was in a truck and he had s- just seen us for the last minute and pulled out and followed us. Now, because we had kind of suspected this, he forced us to go the opposite direction than we were planning. Mm-hmm. And so we promptly got lost ah. <laughs> right after we turned. So now we have this giant cannon with you know, the barrels sticking up through the trees, driving through narrow residential streets. <laughs> and now suddenly we have not one, but two trucks chasing us. Uh-huh. And so we bumble around for a while in the streets, and then finally the janitor, a worker, zips ahead of us and basically runs us off the road. Got it. And that's when we had to bring out the social engineering. Got it. And the clipboards. And the clipboards. Because how else do you know somebody's official? So you soothed their nerves and drove off into the sunset? Almost. Almost, okay. Because they were, we had to use our cover story, right? Yeah. And so we had a map with a circle on it. Yeah that had a parking lot, and so we truthfully told them, well, we're lost, we need to take the cannon here, can you lead us there? And so the security guard was more than happy to show us the way to the parking lot. <laughs> okay. And so we pull up in the parking lot yeah. and go, okay, this is great, you know, but now we're in the parking lot and the security guard is watching us, how are we gonna get out of this, right? Let me guess, social engineering? Yeah, what? actually, he, he offered, I think, initially, he offered to provide us with some traffic cones to put up to help make sure that nobody you know, encroached on the cannon space. But like all good hacks, things always go wrong. Mm-hmm. So just when you think that things are looking bad, you know, something gets worse. And so we walk back to the hitch 
And it turns out that the, what we thought was a one and a half ton cannon was significantly heavier than that. And it had actually deflected the hitch of the truck several inches. <laughs> <laughs> and we're all staring at it going, uh-oh, we need to fix this. Mm -hmm. And security guard sees this as well. And that also partially convinces him to give us cones. So the cloud had a silver lining there. Yeah. Yeah. It got him to go away. And at that point, we're on a, a bit of a timeline of, can we get this hitch mo uh, fixed? And the cannon moved so that the weight's a little better distributed yeah. on the trailer in the time it takes to get cones. Got it. And uh, run away before they notice we're gone. How'd that go? Well, you're here. It worked. It worked. Very good. And so now you've got a truck, you've got a trailer, you've got a cannon on a trailer, and you're somewhere in the greater Los Angeles area. And I did. I checked with you know various specials in armaments and biology, and they assure me that cannons are non-migratory. <laughs> so how did this thing end up on this coast? Well, so there's that non-migratory bit, which yeah. was first we had to make sure that it wasn't a truck carrying a cannon. Yeah. Uh, so as soon as we were within a comfortable distance that we didn't feel like we were right next to the campus yeah. anymore, uh, we pulled over and started making a, a shelter over the cannon so that it wasn't quite so obvious what we were carrying. So like um, lumber or Yeah, tarps? two by fours over yeah. the barrel just to make it look like a box instead of a cannon. <laughs> okay. But uh, of course, while we were doing this, it attracted some attention. Okay. So then we, we had to gracefully talk our ways out as thankfully at that point we had the cannon covered over. Okay. Uh, oh, we're a bunch of college students doing a moving job. Uh, some resident of the street we'd stopped on presumably called in a noise complaint or complained about teenagers or something. That's all the cops seem to be concerned about is like, you're not high schoolers? Whatever. And therefore, you must be law-abiding citizens going about your business. Exactly. All right. It was a weekday. All right. So having now social engineered your way out of a few things, a little bit of fast talking, and, and clearly um, sounds like a, a law enforcement officer who felt they had better things to do than trace, ch uh, chase down non-truants, you know, and fixed hitch, well, and then disguised. Well, oh, okay. So about that, the original <laughs> plan was to just you know take the cannon on the highway and go to where we were going to have it shipped off which was basically across LA, 25 miles. Mm -hmm. But now that we had this broken hitch, we didn't want to push the truck more than 25 miles an hour, so we had to take surface roads. Now, if you've ever driven through LA, mm -hmm. during rush hour, on a weekday, on <laughs> surface roads, it is an absolute nightmare. <laughs> okay, so hours later? So our caravan headed off mm -hmm. on just taking city streets, kind of improvising, because we didn't have this really planned. Uh, luckily, we had some amount of GPS, mm -hmm. although sometimes we just had to wing it, I think. We somehow managed to keep the caravan together. And yeah. At this point, we had the truck that was sure. actually carrying the mm -hmm. cannon. We had the foreman's truck that was following, and then we had another couple of cars following that. Um, it helps to have some pra practice doing caravan work. And then, and you had some arrangements then for delivering the cannon somewhere in LA to someone or, or some entity. Well, we thought we could just put it on a truck ourselves. The cannon was a bit heavier than we thought, and mm. uh, the, the homebrew tools that we had that we were going to get it you know, into a truck and secured so that it was all you know, safe yeah. for a journey, um, those weren't really going to work. Uh, so we, we sort of started this desperate you know, search for what do we do to get this cannon into a truck if we can't do it ourselves. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, one of the people who was with us yeah. has a sister who's involved in the film production industry. 
Ah, and they know how to do everything. They do, or at least they know the right people. So we posed as a company doing moving for a film studio for a new movie production, which for some reason required a cannon to be shipped across the country. Sure. I'm pretty sure they asked no questions. <laughs> it's probably one it was of the favorite things. <laughs> right. Yeah, just a giant prop. And when we were asking about how much it would cost to have them, you know, palletize it up professionally, um, you said oh, it cost thousand dollars. Now, normally for a hacker, that's a lot of money. Yeah. Especially when you're, you know, trying to save money doing one of the most expensive hacks already. And everyone in the car said done, without even thinking about it. Okay. <laughs> At that point, we had the cannon, whatever it took. For a thousand dollars, you get a great hack done. Thousand dollars extra. Extra. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the margin. Yeah. So the payoff for that thousand was big. And so the cannon ends up being palletized. Yeah and placed on a truck. Yeah, and once it's on a truck, that's the easy part. That's the easy part. And then you arrive in Cambridge, and a cannon arrives in Cambridge as well. And so there's this minor problem now. You have a cannon on a truck that needs to, A, get onto the MIT campus, and, and the places where you might actually drive into, up in front of the Green Building, they're usually, usually change and stanchions and things that might be in the way. I don't know if that was an issue for you all. And there's getting it off the truck, and. There's also how, in fact, is the MIT administration and campus police going to react to a very large firearm being <laughs> delivered to campus? Well, partially, our thought was uh, there weren't really any chains. We just had a okay. professional crane truck mm -hmm. and the cannon roll up in front of the green building, and it hoisted it off. Now, mm -hmm. they did comment of how this was, it was actually that the limit of what the crane could do, I think. Okay. Um, but they just unloaded it. And at that point, there was even a cop sitting in his car watching this entire thing happen. But it was kind of at the all guns blazing approach mm -hmm. where it was going to happen mm -hmm. regardless. So we weren't really worried at that point. <laughs> at this point also, there wasn't really any news out there about, mm -hmm. oh no, a cannon's gone missing. Yeah. So, Well, there was speculation. But yeah. everyone thought Harvey Mudd had taken it. Even Harvey Mudd thought Harvey Mudd had taken it. Because they had just 20 years earlier. Right, within a day, 20 years To within earlier. the day, oh wow. Which we did not even realize until okay. after we took it. Okay. We were just searching randomly on the internet, and then it, this thing pops up about how Harvey Mudd took it. They're like, oh, that's funny, they took it. Oh, they took it in 20 years ago, today, oh. <laughs> you couldn't have had a better deflection if you tried. Yeah, and the Caltech uh, administrators were fairly convinced at that time that, that Harvey Mudd had it, and they yeah. you know, asked their contacts and given a, a sort of a wink and a nod and a handshake and said, well, okay, you can keep the cannon until, I think it was the, the Harvey Mudd 50th anniversary was that yeah. year? Or something. Okay. Yeah, so they, they said, keep it through the anniversary, just make sure it gets back to us after that. That attitude may have changed when it showed up <laughs> on campus. Yeah. When they found out where it really was. We went through a lot of trouble to keep it as quiet as possible. Even a lot, a lot of our friends who were not part of it just thought we were going on, you know, your standard college road trip to Southern California, sure. which we kind of were. Dave, what was the first you heard? Well, I got a phone call. Yeah. Uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, it was relatively early in the morning, mm -hmm. which is not unusual yeah. uh, in these kinds of things, saying, uh, we need your help. Uh, I'm like, okay, what, what's going on? Well, uh, we've got this cannon, and... Uh, <laughs> And the police are 
questioning us and uh, and we're just trying to calm everybody down and make sure that things don't go too far astray. And uh, I said, okay, well, let me see what I can do. Uh, having been at uh, on the campus for a while, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know everybody on the campus, but I know quite a few people, uh, especially within uh, the police department. Mm -hmm. I said, well, let me talk to somebody and see if I can find out what mm -hmm. their vantage point is so that I can try to get us back to some neutral ground is usually the way those conversations go like somebody's excited about something mm -hmm. uh, and well why are you so excited about this and what tell me exactly what's mm -hmm. happening and mm -hmm. what's your issue with what's mm -hmm. happening and is anything terribly wrong from a safety perspective mm -hmm. or from sure. a personal injury perspective yeah. and if you talk through things rationally like that again a little bit of social engineering uh, although I wasn't really uh, cognizant that that's what I was doing at mm -hmm. the time. Uh, talk them through and say, look, if there's not a problem from a safety perspective or from uh, an environmental perspective mm -hmm. or a property damage perspective mm -hmm. and everybody's having a good time, then why can't we just let it be? And, uh, mm -hmm. and that, that worked for a while until uh, eventually mm -hmm. uh, after we, the whole hack and, and the arrival of the cannon uh, and the ring on the cannon were celebrated on the campus. Then some mm. people from Caltech eventually showed up on the campus and mm. uh, there was some concern that there would be maybe uh, confrontation mm. uh, at that point. Mm -hmm. So again, trying to talk people through not mm. having confrontation and really I just, I did very little then. The group that had done it uh, mm. had the perfect preparation. They did social engineering to like a next level yeah. uh, where they diffused any kind of anxiety or angst uh, mm -hmm. once the people from Caltech showed up, but rather than me tell that story, that's part of their story. So I'm gonna let them tell that part out. Okay, so you, you go across country, you steal another can, uh, excuse me, you liberate <laughs> a cannon from a rival institution and you escort it safely back to freedom here in Boston and then Folks arrive from the rival institution, presumably not entirely thrilled. I remember we found out right about 1.30 a.m., right before I was going to go to sleep for the first time <laughs> in about a week. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and so we kind of held an, an emergency meeting with the Howitzer Moving Company to try and figure out what to do because they were pretty serious and, you know, we were pretty serious and we had all of campus that would back us up. But we determined that the best way to do it was probably to go the opposite direction and to give the cannon a send-off. And okay. so then we came up with the idea of having barbecue. Now, at 3 a.m. on the Sunday night after CPW, that's pretty much the, the time when the, you find the most MIT students sleeping because they've just stayed up for the entire weekend. Mm -hmm. But somehow we managed to pull together a huge barbecue with a couple hundred people, I think, in just about an hour and a half. We may have run through the halls screaming, <laughs> shouting, and trying to wake everybody up, telling them what was going on, and free barbecue. I don't think we got any complaints, because no, everyone no. was more sure. than willing to help the cannon out. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, I think in the, the morning, there was a professor somewhere nearby who complained about the loud music <laughs> for the barbecue. But it was good. We, uh, we fed them, we played music. Uh, we offered them, you know, to, to have a key to the lock that we'd been locking it up with so they could take it off. Um, I think they ended up cutting the chain. Yeah, they, they did. 
I think they wanted to get pictures of cutting the chain. <laughs> so I have a question for you guys. So, I mean, clearly a lot of thought and preparation went into this, and then a lot of um, reaction and improvisation also went into it. Did you ever consider the possibility of things going really wrong in a way where you would just have to go, wait a minute, no, look, we're MIT students, we came here to steal the cannon, it's not working. Plan B for the hack was if we couldn't take the cannon, we would have put the ring on the cannon mm -hmm. there, which would have been sad because it, you know who knows what damage would have come to it. Yeah. Um, and so we really didn't want it to come to that, but we ended up trekking the ring all the way across the country and back again mm -hmm. without using it, luckily. But we, <laughs> we were prepared to potentially get arrested if that was, came to it, but given that it was a hack and that it was MIT and Caltech, mm -hmm. you know, things would have probably worked out in the end. But of course, a lot of times some of those extreme circumstances get kind of pushed to the back of your mind. Like when the security guard stopped us and the janitor stopped us and they wanted to know what we were doing with the cannon. And they were very assertive and they, it looked like, you know, the lights were dimming, all hope was gone, we were mm -hmm. caught. But at least I never felt any sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anyone else did either. It was like we... We were the protagonists. How could we lose? <laughs> <laughs> and it was, and it worked. And, it, and clearly, it did work out well. And you, you'd mentioned also that you know it was probably one of the most expensive hacks ever pulled off. And you know, did you pass the hat among the people involved? Did you find any other sources of income that you could tap into? We passed the hat amongst ourselves, and we paid for things out of our pockets. Uh, but at a certain point, you get beyond undergrad and grad student and recent grad uh, mm -hmm. levels of money. So at a certain point, we started going to alums who we knew to be mm -hmm. friendly to hacking and you know, asked them if they could make some donations. How did you, you know, scope out the, the site to begin with? You know, how did you know where the cannon was, how you could, what roads you could drive to get to there, how it was affixed to the ground, that sort of thing? So we, we have a few friends who are in the area uh, who we were able to get in touch with ahead of time. Uh, fairly early on in the process to ask, could you go over, look at the cannon, mm -hmm. tell us if you think it's stealable, mm -hmm. you know, take some pictures if you can, uh, just so we had a good idea of what we were facing. Because if the cannon were inside you know, some concrete pavilion that had armed guards at the doors all night long, um, you know, chances are we couldn't take it. But mm -hmm. it looked like something that was actually stealable. Uh, and for the ring, we just needed a piece of string around the barrel. That was the only measurement we needed. <laughs> <laughs> to get the diameter, sure. Yep. Another question that crosses my mind is, so you're coming back, and now did you guys put it on a, a truck that you had rented and drove back, or was it carted back professionally? Sort of in between. Okay. Um, so mostly professionally. Yeah. Mostly professionally. It, it was a company that we couldn't pay to put the cannon on and off, but they would drive from point A to point B if there was something in their truck. Got it. If there was something in the truck, they would take it for you. And then presumably you guys did the um, nonstop drive back with five people in the car. Yep. Sleep deprived. You know, I gotta, I, I'm trying to imagine what that ride back was like, because I mean, there must have been the, wow, we did something really cool, <laughs> and the, oh my god, they're after us. Uh, I mean, what, what, was, what, what did you do? What was it like? It's just like anything else at MIT where you're under a lot of stress, you kind of don't think about it very much, but enjoy it. Of course, there was the point I remember where <laughs> half the people in the car were sleeping, but then the driver starts singing um, 
Dancing Queen because it came on the radio and he's screaming at the top of his lungs in falsetto. And then the other guy next to me starts up too. And I just look at them both and go, oh God, we've finally gone over the edge <laughs> as everyone snapped. <laughs> Seriously considering the question of stealing a cannon and carrying it across country, that's fine. Belling out Dancing Queen falsetto at 3 a.m. is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So as I recall from that April morning when I went out and saw the cannon, I remember the cannon, I remember the ring clamped around the barrel, and then you also had something else there, right? Yeah. Um, we realized after we had taken the cannon successfully, mm -hmm. oh God, we suddenly had this cannon and it worked. <laughs> so we needed to add something else to it because just putting the cannon there with the ring we felt like it needed a description. Mm -hmm. And then so in, it was only a couple days, we designed a plaque mm -hmm. that basically said, you know, we posing as the Howenser Moving Company, we mm -hmm. appropriated the cannon to MIT and pointed it to its past owners. And then we cast a concrete pillar or pedestal. Um, and when we, when we put it out there, the concrete wasn't even dry yet. Good enough. Good enough. Did you have people back here in Cambridge then who were doing the machining and, and creating the plaque while you guys were driving across? Or same once you group, got back Same here, group. Same group of five. Well, no. Okay. Not the same group of five, but okay. while we were there, mm -hmm. nothing really happened on campus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we, we made the ring in advance mm -hmm. and got that all set. Yeah. We stole the cannon and then we made the plaque. And all three of these happened in Sonoma. We didn't really, as, as was mentioned, uh, think of the plaque until after we had it. It was a great afterthought yeah. because it, it quickly and pithily set forth the story. And relatively simple compared to uh, making a ring. Yes, the ring is quite the piece of engineering. It's, an, it's multiple parts, right? Yeah. How many pieces? Three, three parts. That's the only way we could machine it. So this is clearly one of the classic hacks of MIT history. What is it that makes a classic hack? And what are the, the attributes of, of the process of carrying one off that is sort of characteristic, be it cannons from Caltech or balloons in the Harvard-Yale football game? So there's the, uh, there's the you're crazy factor when you come up with it. You know, well, hey, we could, we could go steal a cannon from Caltech. No, you're absolutely crazy. Um, if, if one of us who has done a lot of these things before says it's crazy, to the public it's got to be really crazy. So It's just so outside the pale, it's so... I mean, if it's not outrageous, then you're, you're not really inclined to be inspired about it. And if you're inspired about it, then you're you know, unstoppable. And you're the protagonist. Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's also definitely a factor of afterwards. Mm -hmm. uh, wow, did we really do that? Yeah. Wow, that's, that's, that actually happened. It, it, it somehow seems unbelievable even having done it. There's also the usual factors of, you know, whatever it is that we did, like, it should not just be impressive as a feat, but it should also you know, not leave anybody thinking, you know, oh no, our, uh, our bridge is about to collapse because somebody just stole all of the cables off of it or something like that. You know, it's not non-destructive. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully at least something that people will laugh at. So, so outrageous, imaginative, non-destructive. And inspires people to think of how they did it. Yeah. Because even if you're not that interested in hacks, you still kind of have to wonder, well, there's this physically massive object that was just moved across the country. And at first glance, it's like, well, maybe there are a few obvious ways. But then you think about it some more, and you're like, wait a minute. How did that actually happen? And so it gets people to think. You know, and I don't know if you guys think of it this way, but in, in a sense, 
and in a very deep and real sense, the hacks like this are inspirational. I mean, when we have visitors to campus, one of the things they routinely come and they, they, they speak about, why, you know, why MIT figures prominently in, in their imagination, and it's the, the hacks and the, the, the whimsy and the willingness to go off and do the outrageous thing simply because, you know, because it's there, as Mallory said, and wanting to climb Everest. So this is a very well-known hack, and it's discussed fairly often. Um, presumably, there are situations where people who don't know of your involvement speak of it. And how do you handle that? A lot of times when it comes up, it'll come up at, at a party or something, mm -hmm. and somebody will say, oh, yeah, hacks, do you remember that Caltech cannon that showed up on campus, you know, the giant ring on it? In some ways, it's more satisfying to just sort of sit there and you know, try not to, to smirk too much and just listen mm -hmm. to all of the theories that they have and all of the, the ways that the story has grown over time. You know, just like any legend, there's all these layers that get added that, oh, really? I, I didn't realize that we rented a helicopter to move it. <laughs> so, things like that. Uh, for the record, we did not rent a helicopter. But you hear things like that, and it, it's really interesting to listen to them. Caltech wanted to, though. To take it back, that. they actually wanted to rent a helicopter, but they couldn't do it because there were radio antennas coming from the green building. <laughs> Got it. So they had to settle for trucks. Like they MIT had to settle for trucks. Yeah. So Dave, you've been, how long have you been at MIT now? Well, I've been an employee of MIT for 20 years, okay. and I was an outside contractor for about seven years prior to that. So I have a little bit of history on the campus. Got it. So you've seen a lot of hacks. I have indeed seen a lot of hacks. So from your perspective as an MIT person but not a student, what makes a good hack or a great hack? Well, I, I have a tendency to have my own kind of scale, if you will. Mm -hmm. It's not a numerical scale. It's more of a... Uh, uh, association scale of what I think in terms of, uh, of a hack based upon uh, a few criteria. One, it's ingenuity. Mm -hmm. uh, and not, but distinct from that, it's uniqueness. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that uh, many people uh, always point to the police car on the dome as, mm -hmm. oh, that's the best hack ever. And from my perspective, not so much. Mm -hmm. uh, that's probably the most impressive, it's not even the most impressive thing that's been on the dome. It's the one that got the most attention. Mm -hmm. uh, R2-D2 or the beanie cap were probably two of the most impressive mm -hmm. on, the, on the dome in terms of their, just the magnitude mm -hmm. of them, uh, or the Wright Brothers airplane. Mm -hmm. Those were ultimately, ultimately way more extensive in what it took to get them up mm -hmm. there than the police car. But the Caltech Cannon coming to the MIT campus uh, and being adorned with uh, a ring, which by the way, I wanna know, did you guys ever figure out what size ring that would be for that cannon? That's maybe something for the future. <laughs> mm -hmm. But it was so unique. Mm -hmm. It was not on the dome. Mm -hmm. It was not like a lot of the others. Mm -hmm. And it was obvious that it took an enormous amount of dedication mm -hmm. and legwork mm -hmm. and thought process to pull off something to really make people think, because this was exactly what I heard on that morning when the cannon appeared on campus. How in the heck did they do that? Mm -hmm. And that prevailed, and it still prevails to mm -hmm. this day. I have people in the world that I deal with at other universities, emergency managers. So how did they get that cannon over here? Mm -hmm. Well, they ask about that even in my world. So the test of time mm -hmm. makes a hack 
very successful. Its uniqueness makes it very successful. Its inventiveness makes it very successful. And again, that magic or that mm -hmm. wow factor, how in the world did they pull that off? Mm -hmm. Those are the criteria that makes a hack a classic hack. This one, from my perspective, is right at the top of the list. I think we're out of time, but I do want to wrap up with a question for our three experts on hacking. If you have any advice you might choose to give, what would you, what would you say to them? Dream big. And I would have to say, be safe. But dream big. Chris? I guess be creative. Try doing something that has never been done before. Because if you can pull off something that's never been done before, then you will go down in history books. Similar lines, nothing is impossible. Well, with that advice, um, we wish you the best of luck with your hacks. And gentlemen, thank you so much. point out that we left some, some details out of the story for people who are still wondering that they might never solve. Oh, we left a bunch of details out. But <laughs> <laughs> sure, we did.